0: Is keep calm and cauliflower and keep calm and cauliflower and cauliflower and cauliflower keep calm and cauliflower Okay, so. A couple of people have said, um, uh, 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 Chappie, can you please stop singing at the beginning of your program? I know you're trying to do a rather cool keep coming cauliflower cheese jingle, um, but it it sounds god awful. Um, Please stop doing it. Um, I think we need to uh, stick a chilling fork up your bottom uh, because uh, you seem to be tone deaf or something along those lines. So... um, Am I listening to the criticism? No, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to hit the higher notes even higher. Um, so I stand like a strangled cat. I'm uh, grabbing the crown jewels to try to, uh, to try to reach those high notes, as one said. Um, welcome along. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Episode number, well, let's just check it quickly, shall we? Uh, is just make yourself a cup of tea. I've got one here. It's absolutely delicious. It's that reddish tint that I really like. Oh, man alive. Mm-mm-mm. That is really, really good. The trouble is, I was in such a rush to get the podcast started, I actually left the spoon and it uh, just burnt the side of my face. But I'm a brave boy. I'm uh, keeping calm in cauliflower cheese, as they say. Um, so yeah, let's just see what episode it is, just to make sure You know, we're having a little bit of a meeting on the air here. It is episode 33. I was right. I should never, ever, ever doubt myself. I should be confident in my own convictions. Anyway, welcome along to the program. It's a little bit of a special uh, voting and also Halloween edition. Um, Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today, though is uh, the day my new uh, phone was delivered and i was still in the shower and the chaos that uh, ensued um i've got i'm opening up a new uh, wig shop or as i like to call a uh, wiggery um which is coming soon to a high street near you um i'm going to be talking about the european wax center uh, boozy hand sanitizer um ha- a creative way of warming one's hands um, And also some of the things that we may or may not be talking about uh, is uh, uh, a glimpse of a hairy man's back. Uh, We're going to be talking about Doctors Ready to Revolt Over the Royal College of Physicians book sell-off. Paul McCartney's new album we may be talking about. Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the House of Commons. Bankrupt Boris Becker, accused of hiding his Wimbledon trophies. Um, So much to fit in today. Gold coin of warrior Caractacus. Who resisted the Romans was found popping a poncho for your winter picnic. Mystery fills the air at an ancient circle of life. And uh, drones are putting lobster and prime beef on the US uh, submarine uh, d- dinner table. And New York's grounded Santa get ready for a grotto via Christmas Zoom. And uh, I mean, some of the other things that we may or may not be talking about. Um, We'll have some quotes of the week. The lookalike Donald Trump and the bogus Biden meet the impersonators catching in on election fever. Make sure you go and vote, ladies and mantelpieces, and uh, also um, maybe some virtual Halloween trick or treating. Maybe the order of the day. We're having some scallywag darts, uh, Looking at some of the heinous crimes of the week. Um, that's something else that we'll be uh, we'll be discovering. In the course of the, uh, in the course of the podcast over the next hour or so, uh, we have some uh, historical Tinder. Uh, we have another uh, enigmatic English eccentric. Also, now just uh, just for one moment. Um, I'm actually sitting in the dining room today, so I'm trying a different spot, a different location uh, for the um, uh, for the podcast. But it's almost like when you go to the opticians. Is it is it better now, or now? you see on the left better or the right better? Is last week's podcast better or this week's podcast better? What do you think? Please tell me. Send answers on a postcard, Chappie Towers, Colorado. It will reach me. Thank you for joining me today. I'm full of vim and vigor and ready for another exciting edition of the podcast. Thank you for listening. So last week after the podcast, I decided to take a, a very uh, soapy long shower. I just did slip on the uh, Victorian bathing suit uh, as I always do. really really don't like to see myself negative at all possible um, uh, and a swimming hat as well that I just take off for a few minutes whilst I uh, whilst I shampooed the luscious locks. So I was waiting for a phone delivery um, and um, and no clue as always these guys never give you a window of time. That's more than maybe three hours, so it could have come at any time. And um, I, uh, I then uh, suddenly heard the dogs barking. And this is how I imagined the scene, and this is how the scene enveloped. So I was soaping up, up and down. I had the had the loofah going everywhere, uh, scrubbing under the armpits, under carriage in the ears getting the earwax out. Luther's very good for that. Um, you know a, a Victorian bathing suit can be a little bit restrictive. I had soap in my eye, the dogs are barking the doorbell rang and I thought no no! if I don't go now, I'm going to be in a real pickle lilly um, because I'm gonna to have to then go to the store to pick up the thing later on. It's not going to be delivered. So I ran. I slipped over the soap, the wetness on the floor, tumbled to the floor onto my left shoulder. Soap laden, soap in the eyes, I couldn't see anything, tripping over dogs, hounds galore. Walking and then running down the stairway, the steep cavernous stairway of my house. Still soap in the eye, water flailing everywhere, hair flailing everywhere, I couldn't see the hair was over my eyes at this point in time. The swimming cap had fallen off and, uh, and, and, and cascaded down the stairs as well. I slipped up down the stairs, shouting, wait, 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 please wait. And then I got to the door. The gentleman was going away. I needed to find a towel quickly. Would it be big enough to go around my rather rotund frame? Luckily, it was. Luckily, I opened the door. The gentleman was walking away. He heard my screams, my shrieks, my pleads. And he came back and I signed. He said, "Uh, looks like you should get back to your shower, sir. Because I was still laden in uh, peppermint soap. Smelling rather good one would say. But I retrieved the package. All of this set in my mind to the right of the Valkyries. No horned helmet. I was not Godiva. I was not the fat lady singing. I might as well be, been. But uh, there we go. I retrieved it. All is well. But it could have been much, much worse. It could have been a tragic tale instead of a Herculean tale of success. So we're all suffering at the moment, um, being... Uh, locked away, locked down, not being able to see friends and family or limited uh, meetings with uh, very few people. But it was a very interesting situation in sport this summer. Um, I think some of this is happening in the US with uh, NFL and and baseball, but um, cricket was one of the first sports to come back this summer. I know soccer tried it as well, and they did fairly well. Um, But life in the bubble is okay for a while, but over time it becomes an existential threat. So Mark Nicholas, um, the cricket writer and commentator, uh, wrote a piece um, on Crickinfo that was very, very interesting. So he had reported uh, about Ewan Morgan, the England cricket captain, Jason Holder, had some revealing thoughts on the strain of living in a biosecure bubble and the likely fallout that comes from it. Um, and they were talking uh, on the chance to shine the, 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 uh, the uh, cricket program that they have in the UK to bring cricket to state schools in the UK. So we managed to fulfill all the international fixtures this summer, an unbelievable achievement that kept the level of the bubble for a 12-month period to 10 um, of the 12 months that we normally travel. I think it's untenable, Morgan said. We've accepted that guys come in and out of the bubble, they feel it, is infecting their mental health. I do think we'll see more players pulling out of tours. I don't think people should look down on that. They should feel that uh, players are doing not doing their jobs or not committing to their country. Of course he's right. England's white ball team will tour South Africa next month, leaving home on November the sixteenth, returning on December the tenth. India's team leads a much longer tour of Australia at the same time. There are tours to Sri Lanka and India in the new year for England, and Morgan will lead the limited overs um, uh, internationals. Um, next year and, uh, and to South Africa in a few weeks time. For those who are part of England's home summer, are now at the IPL, um, the, uh, the Indian uh, Premier League, and also featuring the tours to South Africa. Bubble life is only okay for a while. It sneaks up on you, like many of the other issues that affect mental health, niggling away at confidence, patience, and security. The denial of choice, the rigor of enforcement, the boredom, the loneliness and the damned amount of time to think. To confuse and to overcomplicate are threats to even the most self-assured. There is an almighty difference between not being able to do something and not being allowed to do it. I'm still blessed to be working as a hold of the West Indian cricket captain, but something needs to be done to free things up a little for the players' mental health. We had two months in the bubble in England, then two days at home before leaving to the CPL, the Caribbean Premier League in Trinidad. Some places were accepting families and some aren't, so it makes it harder to be away from your family and loved ones. England in the past, the stiff upper lip transported through, through the empire was used to put on a brave face on things, however ghastly. The duty was to keep the flag flying, play up, play up, play the game, writes Henry Nervold in his uh, poem Vitae Lambada. I was accepted into the uh, Hampshire playing staff, said Nicholas in 1978, when second-eleven players had to knock on the door to first-eleven dressing rooms to uh, entry to perform the 12th-man duties, such as delivering food and drinks, running bars, injuries were treated as suspicion, as if a young enthusiast eager to play first-class cricket would, have, would fake a back problem. Bad shots were castigated, bad balls berated, and poor Fielding admonished through the thought of nervous systems or any understanding of circumstances and insecurity and mental health issues. Um, So human beings are affected by thoughts that can be both empowering and destructive. What became clear over his years at Hampshire, Nicholas said, as we are indeed the dictators of our own thoughts, behaviours, we are often denied by our own limitations or by the dominant, perhaps intimidatory factors around us. Therefore, we um, benefit hugely from help within the companies of uh, the stiff upper lip of moral and physical qualities to be admired but the acceptance of the mind as a flexible and essential tool in the improvement of performance comes key to unlocking the door of the true human spirit. Pointing it away from the darkness and negative of the bright lights of the positive is the most essential aspect of good mental health. The longer I was captain, the more I saw cricket, as say 70% mental and 30% physical. It's fairly typical case, I wish I knew what I knew now, uh, but it, he kicked himself for not grasping it sooner. The problem with the biosecure bubble is that you cannot plow your own furrow. If I was a younger man, I might feel as if the air had stopped circulating. I would, would almost certainly do so if my form was suffering and my game was turning against me. So, I mean, it's a very interesting topic, definitely, because we're all suffering this at the moment. We can't be as social as we would like. We can't see our friends and family as we would like. So we have to be there for each other, even if it's virtual, even, even if it's through... Watching television programs, or keeping up on the news, or listening to radio, or listening to podcasts as well. We all need a friend at the moment, whether it's in our small little groups that we're uh, that we're socialising, or maybe it's a friendly uh, face on the television or a friendly uh, voice behind the radio or on a podcast. We need to help each other though, because it's affecting a lot of people, and a lot of people aren't speaking about it, and it's uh, and it's a real worry. So. Anyway, I just wanted to share that little article uh, from uh, from Mark Nicholas, um, a very, very interesting uh, uh, cricket writer and commentator. So as you lot know, you awful lot know, um, Chappie does have a nose for the entrepreneurial. Uh, I've decided that I'm going to open Chappie's Wiggery and Weave store for the Balding Chaps. I'm going to make two pays out of lint ladies and gentlemen. I mean, a mixture of dog hair and belly button fluff could create a wonderful barnet for those thinning lads. COVID wise, it's also safe because the lint has been baked in the dryer, killing all those nasty germs. And I tell you, I mean, when I wash your sheets or any of my clothes, you know, that have oodles of dog hair on them normally, I mean, you have a rather lovely thick old wad of lint here. And you know what? I think it would be an absolutely fabulous toupee. I think it would be fantastic. You could dye it, or if you wanted a little bit of a you know grey linty thing, and maybe you could wash some grey sheets, or uh, uh, or maybe uh, some of my uh, fluffy yellow pantaloons. If you want a little bit of a blonde barnet, there's so many ways around it. And I think in this in this day and age, with the balding man, you know maybe people can't afford the hair plugs. I think the lint barnet would be the way forward without a doubt. So on a similar topic, we had the first sight of the new cabinet secretary in the UK, Simon Case, made his debut before the common select committee. The first thing you would notice about him, apart from his youthfulness and the propensity for a, a creaky pauses, is that he's bearded. It may not be bushy enough to call him Humphrey the hipster, but it would certainly have set off Mrs. Thatcher's uh, pognophobia. Why do men grow beards? Idleness, insulation, camouflage. I always say shave off the bugger. But this, this, this made me think and uh, uh, move on to the point that uh, new evidence does and has emerged that Mrs. Thatcher hated beards. The Beard Liberation Front, the informal network of beard wearers, has said that new evidence has emerged that former Tory Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher was a veteran opponent of her suit. She was described by the Daily Telegraph in August 2001 as notoriously pognophobic. The journalist Peter Hitchens who has grown a beard again has noted in his Mail on Sunday column that Mrs. Thatcher's reaction to an earlier period of beard growth on his part. As was Mrs. Thatcher, or Lady Thatcher, who sometimes had to endure me as a lowly member of the press party on her flights abroad, she never said anything. You could just feel the frozen disapproval emanating from her. Mrs. Thatcher famously banned beards in her cabinets, and John Selwyn Gummer, a rare senior Tory with a beard, had to shave his beard off before joining the cabinet. It is not known what the origins of Mrs. Thatcher's hatred of beards was, but it's thought that she felt that beards were strongly associated with rebellion and the political left. A search of the Thatcher Foundation archive for the term beard produces not a single result. Uh, the Beard Liberation Front organizer Keith Flett said Mrs. Thatcher divided Britain between the clean-shaven and the hirsute. Notably, in 1997, Tony Blair's cabinet had the most beards since 1945, making the start more socially progressive era, uh, era Blair himself was clean-shaven sha- revisionist. Uh, Boris Johnson, who never worn a beard, has returned to the Thatcherite right, uh, pognophobia. So there we go. Mrs. Thatcher apparently uh, really didn't like the suit. She didn't like the, the beards, the bearded men, the bearded ladies, the bearded anybody. So while Wimbledon Olympics were postponed this year, it takes more than a pandemic to disrupt Kettering's global sporting event. Philip Hollobone, the town's MP, has informed the Commons that its annual World Puddle Jumping Championship will be held online with competitors invited to send in videos. Their efforts will be judged on height, enthusiasm, distance, of splash, and the amount of mud that covers the participant. A brilliant idea, Gus Jacob Rees-Mogg, second mention of Mr. Mogg, this uh, show, who revealed that he was a big fan of puddle jumping, or uh, telemedidosis, teller, top dedosis. Hmm, I think I'm just going to call it puddle jumping, because of his enthusiasm for Peppa Pig which uh, often is a sport that uh, Pepper often plays a role in. I think a number of my children would enjoy doing it very much. I hope Nanny makes them wear their galoshes or their Wellington boots. So naughty, naughty, naughty Boris Becker. Bankrupt Boris Becker, the former champion of Wimbledon, accused of hiding his Wimbledon trophies. Boris Becker hid his Wimbledon championship trophies and Olympic gold medal from his bankruptcy trustees, a court heard during the week. He's accused of concealing nine items of silverware, making bank transfers of more than $390,000, including payments to his current and former wife, after being declared bankrupt in 2017. Becker, who was the, became the youngest Wimbledon champion age 17, in to denied 28 charges. Um, the former Wimbledon champion is accused of having failed to deliver up the winning trophies from the All England Club championships of 1985 and 1989 that uh, under his con- custody or control. Um, and he's also accused of concealing more than one million of his, from his bankruptcy trustees as well. So maybe Boris forgot where the trophies were and he stumbled over them whilst romping in the closet or the cubby under the stairs. But that's how he got caught That's why he has so many wives because he's caught in the broom cupboard canoodling with somebody. But that's maybe where he hid his trophies too, I think. So as everybody knows, I have an incredibly curious mind. The mind uh, is a very fertile mind. It goes into corners and nooks and crannies that most minds don't go. So uh, going past the uh, European Wax Centre in the week, um, and I thought, well, it's a European Wax Centre, but people don't wax in Europe very often, like the hairy armpits, the, the, uh, the hairy legs, the, the hairy bush, all of it. Um, so, I mean, I wonder if when you go to the European Wax Centre, if you just go in and just have your bush comb through, that's it. Kitty's salon, pillow talk could be fatal at the Berlin brothel bugged by Nazis. There were microphones hidden under lampshades under tables and behind paintings, all cunningly placed to capture the pillow talk of leading members of the uh, Nazi regime and diplomats who visited a Berlin brothel seized by Hitler's spy network. Kitty Salam was an expensive establishment in an upmarket park of the German capital Berlin and boasted nine plush boudoirs, all of them bugged by SS officers who were listing in the cellar. A book to be published uh, next week, sheds Light on Kitty Schmidt, the German madam with flame red hair and green eyes, who got into bed with the Nazis. It uh, cites testimonies by SS counterintelligence officer Walton Schallenberg who claimed that the idea for the spy brothel came from Hitler's head of security, Reinhard Heydrich, who uh, had an insatiable ap- appetite for wild tours of Berlin flashpoints including Kitties. Heydrich was known to admire Britain's secret service and devour British spy novels and he may have inspired the installation of surveillance equipment to keep tabs on the diplomats and rival members of the Nazi party. of Nazi party's top brass who frequented Kitty's flourishing salon in Charlottesburg. According to the book, Kitty's Salon, written by Erzbrunn and Julia Schrammel, there were 48 microphones deployed across the Grand Apartment along the camera trained on the beds uh, uh, in bid to root out dissenters discovering state secrets, and gather material that could be used to blackmail opponents i wonder is it i wonder if you know just we could like tune in here and wonder what sort of thing would we'll be saying here would you would you, would you, please slip on the the lederhosen i really uh, i really would like uh, a glass of uh, a big glass of frosty beer and uh, and maybe some uh, maybe some wiener schnitzel well, do you have some of those lovely bratwursts that, uh, that I had last week? They were so tasty, they swallowed they, 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 they were absolutely delicious. A little bit of mustard on there, a little bit of spicy mustard on the bratwurst in the Wiener Schnitzel, washed down by the beer, dressed in the Lederhosen. So, I think to celebrate um, polling day this Tuesday in America, um, I, I really want to look into some amazing stories of voter determination because everybody should go and vote. However you get there, bike, horse and cart, uh, pedalo, um, maybe uh, maybe skateboarding, hot air balloon, however you get there, you must go and try and vote. Anyway, first of all, the woman in Labor who insisted on voting to the way to hospital. Illinois resident uh, Galicia Malone did not let a little thing like Labor stop her from casting a vote on Tuesday, November 6, 2012. Malone's contractions were almost five minutes apart, and her water already broke, but the 21-year-old new mother felt so strongly about making her voice heard that she powered through hard labor in order to fill out the ballot. I was just trying to read and breathe, read and breathe, read and breathe, and check the box. The man who died and came back to vote. In Detroit, Michigan, an elderly couple was filling out an absentee ballot on, on Monday before the election when the man suddenly died. A bystander sitting nearby performed CPR on the man until he re- finally revived several minutes later. His first question upon waking up, did I vote? The elderly man then sat up and finished filling out his ballot, telling his wife that he only came back to do two things, to tell her that I love you and that uh, I finished, to you know, come to finish what I came here to do, which was vote. So if you're gonna be cracking open some wine or champers or bubbles on Tuesday, maybe, uh, don't be intimidated by pompous waiters or old conventions. Just trust your own taste. Says the matre d' Fred Serrier. As twinkly-eyed the twinkly eyed matchmaker and, and uh, matchmaker in chief of Channel 4's first dates, Fred Serrier knows all about the importance of making a connection on an emotional level. Having led the nation's singletons on their first tentative steps towards romance in 15 seasons of the dating show, the 48 year old maitre d hopes uh, to help us all fall in love with one of his own passions wine to hear him describe one of his favorites, so you could be forgiven for thinking that he has a script muddled. When I has a nose for the Sarah from the Run Valley, I like walking through the stable door. I can smell the husses and the shit on the floor. Really, it's what I smell. Now, an expert might talk about it in more technical terms, but that's the image I have in my head, down to the level side. His earthy metaphor, perfectly illustrates his point that the wine is something we can all enjoy. You don't have to be an expert to follow the arcane set of rules. At the end of the day, wine smells and tastes the way you think it does. Wine talk can be so pompous, and we are the industry, so we're publicly to blame because we're allowed to see it as elitist. The truth is it's a beautiful thing, and anybody can take pleasure in it. You just have to approach it with an open mind. Not for him, the hidebound conventions of serving white wine with fish or red wine with beef. If you, to, if you want to tannic Bordeaux with your fish, go ahead. If you want to start with red wine and move on to white, why not? He could even give license to those who choose to cut their Petrus with a Coca-Cola. Well, there's certainly more to money than sense, but that is life. Oh, I do love a good fashion chip. One of the fashion tips here. Obviously you always have starch, always have a nice hot iron, I'm actually in the middle of this is why I'm sitting in the dining room today. I'm actually cleaning the candelabra with uh, with the silver with the silver cleaner, uh, not the Brasso that you can get in the UK that, that smells like you could be poisoned just by sniffing it. But I'm polishing it. I've got an old, an old chamois leather that I'm uh, I'm giving a quick polish to my candelabra here and it uh, it is really sparkling. And uh, it's, it's, I can see my face in it, to be honest. But you must pop on your poncho for the winter picnic. You've picked your support bubble, waterproof the outdoor cushions, and have invested in a fire pit for the garden. What will you wear in the tiered social circuit this winter? Fashion Easters may have the answer. Their new favorite winter wrap is soft, cozy, and warm. It comes in checks and stripes, can be fringed, or have that leather trim designed to cocoon the body. No, it's not a dog blanket. It's a poncho. Wool blanket ponchos and capes hybrids are set to be in every alfresco spot this winter. John Lewis and partners report that poncho sales are up 39.5% on last year. At the White Company, £249 grey double face wool cape is the best seller. Wow, that is incredibly expensive here. Um, I'm wondering if you could actually cut a hole in, a, in one of granny's old blankets and just pop your head through. Now, if a man's wearing a poncho, does he have to wear a cowboy hat? Does he have to have the designer stubble and does he have to say make my day? So we have another uh, of the fireside ghost tale for Halloween. So some of the best ghost stories are, are sort of personal ones. So I was doing a little bit of research here and um, this, uh, this one came in uh, from the, from the UK, uh, from somebody's aunt in Detmont. These stories are recollections of stories told to me by one of my aunts many years ago. My Detchmont haunting story. She could tell these stories a few times through the year, so the retelling is as accurate as an account as possible. Both these stories take place in the same house in uphill West Lothian in Scotland, an area known as Millbank. They took place in the late 50s and early 60s. There's a burn stream, which runs through the villages of Uphall and Broxburn, the burn is called the Brox Burn. Brox, for those who don't know, is Scots word for badger. There's an old water mill, now a house, which was used to grind grain back in the day. Down by the burn next to the mill, crossing the burn, is a bridge known as the Miller's Brig. Situated next to there are the houses in the mill bank. I'm not sure I don't have explained explain why they're called that. This is where my aunt, uncle and three cousins lived. One day my aunt was hanging up the washroom when she heard a gaggle of voices coming down from the burn. She made out that they were discussing costs of items and good kid haggling going on. Obviously perplexed as to what was going on, she moved forward to look down the steep banking into the burn to see who was making this commotion. She was shocked to see what she described as market stalls and men in tricorn hats, long coats and pantaloons walking along a sidewalk built along the side of the burn running under the miller's brig to the west and following the run of the burn up to the east. There were people selling fruit and vegetables as well as different meats and poultry. There was a flight of stone steps heading from what's known as station road, road beside the bridge down to the walkway where the selling was taking place. Women's were wearing long flowing dresses and bonnets. She stood watching there for about five to ten minutes. Until everything just faded away and the scene was back to being overgrown. She never saw anything more than this market scene. Yes, 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 yes. We have some scallywag darts here. Skillywig dits. Ah. So we take the most heinous crimes of the week, the headline crimes of the week, and we uh, equate them to a game of darts. So we have uh, Missing the Board, Triple 20, uh, Bullseye, and Chirpy's Special Prize. So, uh, missing the board this week, Gordon Ramsay's 48-pound pizza, Beef Wellington, blasted by fuming Italians. A new take on the classic Beef Wellington at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant Union Street Cafe lists people fuming and say Italians claim it as insulting. But Chef Gordon Ramsay's signature Beef Wellington has left people hot under the collar. It was given an unusual twist. The celebrity chef shared a video of the dish on Instagram where he revealed the Italian beef Wellington, which has a pizza crust wrapped around the meat instead of the traditional puff pastry. So, oh dear, apparently Gordon told the kitchen to shut it down and, until someone ordered the uh, Udonkey Wellington. Okay, so we have uh, the uh, triple 20 this week. Man's video goes viral after uncle makes some fortunate mistake in the background. Corey, Left people in stitches after his attempt to make a, t- a TikTok video went very wrong after his uncle entered the room while he was filming. Uh, with many of us spending more time at home, it gets easy to suck into the world of TikTok. The latest platform to attract the youth has racked up millions of videos. TikTok uh, Cory was taking part in the Weighted Blanket Challenge, which is as odd as it sounds. It requires somebody to throw an approximately £20 blanket on their head and try to stand up. Uh, It didn't go to plan, uh, to the slightest, leaving many people laughing hysterically and in stitches. Um, But apparently, Corrie tells the camera that he wants to see if he can handle it. His uncle enters behind him, leaving the door open. You can see where this is going. Corrie throws a blanket over his head. He stumbles backwards and falls down the stairs. His concerned uncle can be heard asking, what the hell did you do? As he looks upstairs, uh, one person asks, am I supposed to laugh or cry at this? So, um, you know, I would never toss a young man's blanket over my head. The concoction of smells and possible protein stains would even sink a big fella. Uh, and if there was a young chap sort of tossed in there, like wrapped in the blanket, it could cause instant asphyxiation and possibly vomiting. Okay, so we have our bullseye. Women's incredible drinks hack to beat the curfew Liz people in stitches. Thousands of people have been left impressed by one woman's ingenious mind, a method of ensuring you don't leave the pub thirsty after 10pm curfew kicks in under the new rules. Thanks to the 10pm curfew rules, many of them have to drink and finish a drink rather sharpish. It can be a tough decision. Do you try to finish it quickly or admit defeat and leave some of it behind? But one woman has gone viral after revealing her incredible way of making sure she gets her money's worth. In a video that's been seen by more than a million people, a woman called Courtney has been showered with praise after showing how she ensures that she doesn't leave a drink behind. In a clip she uploaded on TikTok, Courtney demonstrates just how she manages to leave the pub with her drinks without alerting any staff. It's very, very impressive. She appears to defy gravity by pulling out cocktail glasses from her top. At first, Courtney starts off strongly as she moves one full cocktail glass from her vest Next, she increases the stakes as somehow pulls out two cocktail glasses, and then she appears to do some Mary Poppins star magic as she pulls out two full goblets and a plastic glass and bottle from under her arms. Um, it makes you think, when she does start this escapade, does she start it 15 minutes before closing or five minutes before closing? How much time does one need to hide all these glasses? Um, it's worrying that there could be a frozen Mar tucked down her shirt, that could cause a frostbite nipple. She could discreetly have a straw, maybe penetrating the cocktail, protected in her cleavage. It could give her some boozy warmth for the walk home. Let's hope she doesn't have any pork scratchings or pickles hidden in the canyon. And we have our uh, Chappie special Prize. Model films her back pocket to see how many people stare at her. Alexis Morgan recorded how many people stared at her and her bum as she walked around Miami, Florida and people captured lots of unsuspecting people checking it out. A woman walked down the streets of Miami with a phone hidden in her back pocket to see how many people stared at her backside while she was out and about. Uh, It catches a number of men taking a look as she strolls past. I'm going to see how many uh, stares my booty gets before tucking the phone back into her normal pocket. The compilation video shows several men gawping in a direction, Alexis strolls for a supermarket and past a bar filled with drinkers. I mean, I would try something similar, but um, I, as I said last week, I have lost my ass during COVID. Um, but I wonder if some builder's ass cracks would have the same reaction as they bent over on the construction site. Um, hard hats obviously required uh, to throw up into. Okay, some of the stories that didn't make it into the, uh, into the uh, heinous headline crime of the week's Galloway Darts. We Um, So we have uh, raccoons break into bank and steal biscuits. I don't know if they're the American biscuit or the uh, British biscuit. Uh, In our transatlantic food wars, though, would the raccoon go for the Oreo or would uh, he uh, or she go for the chocolate-covered digestive? A raccoon uh, with a refined palate would obviously go for the chocolate digestive. Um, and then a burglar caught after uh, leaving his name and address at the scene of the crime. So uh, once again, my mind is wandering. It's Halloween, so I'm wandering, uh, my mind's wandering into the uh, into the whole realm of vampires. So I imagined if you did have a vampire burglar, just, just hold on for a second, step into Chappie's mind here. I, uh, you have a vampire burger, burglar, and I imagine vampire burglars are probably the least successful of all burglars. You know why? Because they always have to be invited in. So, but wait till, till somebody's home, and you can't burglarize somebody when they're at home. So, vampire burglars are the most unsuccessful, unsuccessful burglars in the whole wide world and universe. Okay, so you need to. It's a little game I like to play, and you win a win a long pair of. Uh, knee-high argyle socks for this. Uh, you have the spot the deliberate mistake in this week's episode. And again, answers in the postcard the Chapter Towers. Anyway, so we have um, our, uh, is our historical Tinder game here. And uh, this week we have Qin Shi Hong of China. While he was a capable, a uh, like, brutal administrator in his personal life, China's first emperor, Qin Shi Hong, had some serious issues. Chief among them was a crippling fear of death that led him to spend the majority of his life searching for the key to a mountain or immortality. Qisheng Hung was forever uh, wary of the possibility—the uh, possibility of his enemies making an attempt at his own life. To this point, they never slept in the same place twice, and regularly carried a massive crossbow at his side when traveling. Revealing the Emperor's whereabouts was deemed a capital crime and after a while, underground passageways were constructed that allowed him to travel unseen between his different palaces. Later in life, Qin Shi Hung uh, began a construction of a massive tomb that in the event of his death would protect him from his enemies. The monument contained over 8,000 life-sized terracotta soldiers uh, along with a miniature city for the King to rule over in the afterlife. Of course, Qin Shi Hung uh, all of this was only precaution, and in the meantime, the emperor consulted soothsayers, apocryphos, and other spiritualists in the hope of finding some kind of elixir that would extend his life. His strangest behavior, though, was his paranoia. It wasn't completely unwarranted. During his reign, there were three attempts at his life, uh, but his suspicions were often directed in completely nonsensical directions. For example, uh, one of the emperor's most enduring f- affairs... With the threat was being killed by a sea monster, he claimed to be a dream that the creatures were on the prowl for him. So he never left his palace without a posse of guards. This paranoia eventually led to his death in the most ironic way possible. After going on the hunt for one of these sea beasts and slaying a beached whale, Kinshi hung developed an illness and died only a few weeks later. So he caught some sort of uh, some sort of disease from Moby Dick, maybe. Oh dear, poor King chi hung um, So again, you know, we have to determine uh, on the scheme of things here. Um, you know, he wasn't—he wasn't a naughty chap. He wasn't a Henry VIII. He wasn't Emperor Nero. So there's no uh, shenanigans going on here. Um, but he, he was—he was actually crushed um, by, uh, you know, by a whale. And let's try to think of what that may may sound like here. Or uh, yeah, may, maybe it's maybe it's that. I think it was definitely. I think it was definitely the uh, the Swanee whistle there uh, causing uh, causing the uh, issues here. And you um, well, no, yeah, uh, it wasn't the axe chopping. It wasn't definitely not the axe chopping. Um, there was no there was maybe a little bit of that, and probably. Good. So once again, this is him being crushed by the whale, falling on top of him. There we go, rather big moby dick, I think. Though I did actually think of the start of my uh, possible novel here. Okay, here we go. Everything was okay until I had tomato ketchup with my bacon and eggs. And then she looked at me in a quizzical look. Anyway, so... The start of my novel, potentially. Um, so I was thinking about now it's getting colder. We had a lot of snow in Colorado in the week, earlier in the week, Sunday into Monday. Um, but I, I, you know, back on the uh, uh, the dog poop, dog shit bag topic. Um, but I was thinking in the week because, you know, carrying around a bunch of uh, poo bags for my dogs, uh, not having any gloves one of the days was uh, was. Could be a frostbite situation here. But I found like a natural hand warmer when you have no gloves is some of Maggie's fresh warm poop. Obviously through the bag. It sort of warms the hands. It gives you that warm fuzzy feeling until you get the stench. But no, for a little bit of time, it does it does warm the hands here. Obviously through the bag. Um, but back on the old uh, dog uh, poop bag topic, there doesn't seem to be many rubbish bins these days so one is often carrying a large bag of dog shit for miles um you know but recently i've noticed there's a lot of building work going on going on around my neighborhood so you have to be cunning and stealthy nonchalantly flick the dog poop bag into a construction skip just look ahead be cool and uh, you just see the bag as a, as a basketball and the skip as a hoop. It's like a steamy, stinky game of uh, basketball. So a couple more um, attritional stories of uh, getting to the polls. The hurricane victims who didn't let a lack of electricity keep them from voting. In the wake of the devastating Superstorm Hurricane Sandy, over a million homes and businesses were still without power on Election Day in New York in 2012. Many polling stations were damaged buildings and gas shortages and a lack of electricity uh, made getting to the polls very difficult for thousands of people in New York and New Jersey. The governors of both states invoked extraordinary measures to help Voters participate in the election. People were allowed to submit their votes by fax or email in some places, and others were given substitute ballots at the polling stations so they could get to, instead of having to find specific stations. In some places, votes waited in long lines to vote in generator-fueled tents. And then finally, the famous rap who paid for people to vote. The uh, of The Game wanted to help victims of Hurricane Sandy in New York get to the polls. TMZ reports that the celebrity donated $10,000, about 500 votes, who'd been stranded by the storm. The money was intended to help voters who were affected by the storm pay for gas or transportation to get them to the polling stations. In fact, he used his own car to shuttle people to and from the polls. So everybody out there, go and vote. Take your, take your warm, meaty vessel the sausage roll, put it in a pocket, warm your hands, wait in line, and go and vote if you haven't voted already. It is absolutely essential. And maybe uh, you'll be cracking open a bottle of champagne and a bottle of bubbly come uh, election day. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's been a delight, an absolute delight, ladies and gentlemen, madame, and gentlemen, uh, having you here this week. Um, please continue to listen. Um, hopefully it uh, is a little bit of respite. A little bit of whimsy into a hectic schedule. So we finish uh, with a very apt a poem called Halloween. Joel Benton, Pixie, cabold, elf and sprite All are on their rounds tonight In the one moon's silver ray Thrives their helter-skelter play Fond of cellar, barn or stack True unto the almanac They present to credulous eyes Strange hobgoblin mysteries cabbage stumps, straws wet with dew Apple skins and chestnuts too and a mirror for some lass shows what wonders come to pass, uh, doors that move and gates they hide, mischiefs that on a moonland moonbeams ride, are their deeds and by their spells love records its oracles. Don't we all of long ago, by the ruddy fireplace glow in the kitchen and the hall, those queer coof-like pranks recall, every shadow where they, where they then, but to the night they come again. Where we once more but the 16 precious would be Halloween. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Cheerio for now. I'll be back. Same place. Same venue. Chappie Towers next week. Toodaloo.